Well, hello and welcome to episode 63 of the 1099 for the week of October 17th, 2016, after a week off due to crazy hurricane weather and West Coast travel. We're back. I'm your host, as always, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is the director of Evolve PR, Tom Oley. Tom, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks. Uh, like we were talking about right before we started recording, I've worked with PR people for what feels like a decade at this point, uh, and I've had, I feel like, you know, YouTubers, streamers, writers, editors, all different types of people on this podcast, but I've never actually had a chance to talk to a PR person. So this is this is exciting for me. I, I feel like I've seen your uh, team's name attached to some of the most interesting games that have come out recently, like Div- uh, Divinity Original Sin, We Happy Few, and of course, The Witcher. So to kick things off, just so people actually know, because sometimes I feel like they don't know, how would you describe what Evolve does and what a PR person does on a day-to-day basis? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, first off, I'll, I'll say, uh, you know, I feel sorry that um, you have had to deal with PR people. <laughs> um, most of us are pretty insufferable. And I think that, you know, part of that is, is sort of what we're tasked with, which is, you know, essentially promoting games. Um, you know, traditionally PR uh, public relations itself is sort of more based on what they call earned media. So trying to get journalists and now YouTubers and Twitch streamers um, to cover a game, to, to play it, write about it, um, and then, you know, basically trying to promote the games without doing something like advertising and, and paying to, uh, you know, just get visibility. Um, but, you know, I, I think Evolve maybe a little differently than, than other agencies. You know, we, we sort of, um, I, I think we see ourselves more as a promotional company kind of full stop. You know, we, we kind of want to make sure that every developer that we work with, whether they are large or, or small, sort of um, can leverage us to help them in whatever way that, you know, whatever way makes sense and, and whatever works for them. So a lot of cases that is sort of, you know, trying to get media and, and YouTubers and Twitch streamers to play the games. Um, but, you know, we're also helping people with kind of social media ideas. Um, we do a little bit of trailer production and, and sort of a bunch of different stuff. So, um, you know, recently we also launched uh, Terminals.io, which is sort of our uh, in-house built um, code distribution, news distribution, you know, press kit sort of do-all system, um, which is, I guess in some ways sort of made us a tech company as well, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, fun and, and sort of a different challenge, but uh, it, it, you know, came, came about sort of as, as a response to, I think, changing conditions in the industry where, um, you know, I think uh, a lot of journalists and, and also again, Twitch streamers and YouTubers are, are finding out about games in different ways and, and sort of what used to work in terms of coverage um, just doesn't necessarily work the same way. So we kind of had to adapt and I, I you know, hopefully going in the right direction now. How difficult can it be to find that balance between reminding, you know, the press or reminding quote unquote influencers that a game exists versus flooding their inboxes, flooding social media and just being annoying because I, uh, I'm working for a studio right now, Tan Gentleman who just released here. They lie and I'm doing community yeah. management, but a part of my job because it's a smaller team is, you know, getting the word out there to people is reaching out to press because I know a lot of press, but in my mind, there's just this like weird counterbalance between like, am I being annoying? Am I not doing enough? And I never really know. How did you guys kind of figure out that balance? There, I, I don't think you can. Um, I, I think that the way that we've always approached it is um, trying to put ourselves in the shoes of, of whoever's on the other end. Um, so I think that we've always been sort of adverse to... Uh, you know, just blasting out press releases and, and things like that. And through terminals creating that, we, you know, we, one of the main driving factors there was to be able to say, okay, I mean, 
you know, at this point we have, let's say 11,000 people that are registered there, everyone from, again, media, streamers, YouTubers, um, and trying to, you know, get relevant info to the right people um, while also not, you know, blatantly upsetting or, or just kind of pissing off people by spamming them um, with irrelevant info, it's, it's definitely a bit of a challenge. And so we, you know, we were trying to understand who would actually be interested in games. I mean, we built a, a research team uh, internally, which I think maybe is also a little different from, from some of the other agencies that, um, you know, we can essentially have that team go out and try and figure out who the best people are to approach. But at the same time, I mean, to your point about being annoying, it's really hard because, you know, I think that most larger outlets and channels are getting, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of emails a day. Uh, and it's really hard, even, even having established relationships with people to kind of break through that noise. Um, and, you know, not being annoying. And, and, and at the same time, you know, we're, we're sort of at, at the mercy of those people to respond and be interested. But, you know, we have clients on the other hand who are like, well, why aren't you guys getting us this coverage? Well, they just haven't responded yet. Yeah. Um, and trying to say, you know, from the client's perspective, they obviously, they want results. Um, and from our perspective, we have to continue our relationships with people um, after that client is gone. So we have to, you know, it's a fine line for sure um, in terms of being annoying and, and, you know, being persistent. But I think we always try and put ourselves in the shoes of, of the people on the other end and try and make sure that if we're, if we're going to be persistent about something, there's, there's a reason for that. Um, and, and, you know, we ultimately stopped, uh, picking up just any old game just to kind of make a buck, just because we realized that, um, you know, if we can't really believe in something, if we can't really get behind a project, uh, we, we can't really expect, um, the, the journalists or, you know, influencers for lack of a better word, um, to do the same. You mentioned before some clients may be getting upset if you don't get the certain coverage they want. Have you ever had the issue where a client gets upset because the reviews don't turn out the way that maybe they feel like a PR person should be able to get? Because there has been in the past that I've heard people say, like, PR people, you know, are they trying to, you know, buy good reviews or get good reviews or build these relationships so good reviews happen? And that's, of course, not the case because no matter what a PR person does, it shouldn't actually influence the review score. So can it be difficult trying to combat that notion that PR people, a good PR person can lead to a higher Metacritic average? Yeah, I think so. Although, I mean, you know, we are maybe just at this point, just because I've been doing this for way too long, um, very cognizant of trying to ensure that, that clients coming in understand what we can or can't do. Um, and, and I think that we've trained people pretty well to understand that ultimately, I mean, once, once the game's out of our hands, there's very little that can be done. Um, you know, it's, it's basically at that point, it's a, it's opinion and we can't really argue with someone's opinion. Now, I mean, if there's fact, if there are factual errors in a review or something like that, and you know, somebody gives a, a crappy review, but, uh, at the same time, just blatantly misstates facts or something like that. Then, then there's grounds to complain about it. But at the same time, I, I you know, it's it's a, a tough tough thing to to try and convince clients that you know whether it's the scores that we're getting or you know potentially a lack of coverage or something like that. You kind of look at the game and go, well, I mean, that's it's fair. You know, as, as long as if, if as long as we can say that we we think we gave it a good shot, 
Um, and, and we tried our best. That's all we can do. But we have, you know, we've definitely had clients in the past that are like, why is this really, I can't believe these guys got this, you know, gave us this review. Why didn't you send it to this other editor at the, at the site? This guy was a fan. It's like, well, that's not really how it works, right? I mean, we yeah. kind of send a review code usually to a review editor. They dish it out from there. And, and, you know, no matter what we say, we can say, hey, well, maybe you should give it to this guy because he's your RPG writer or this person because she's into strategy games or whatever. Um, but it just doesn't work that way. Have you ever decided to stop sending review codes to a certain outlet because you've had like repeated bad experiences with that specific outlet or has that never really happened? Um, not really. I mean, I, I will say, I mean, we do often have kind of consistently poor experiences with an outlet, but I think that if it's based on opinion, again, it's like, there's, there's really not much you can do. I think that as there are very few media outlets or channels that are consistently negative, you know, so there's always, there's always a bright spot. There are always, they always like some games. So I think that there's always a hope. Um, I think that more often than not, um, you know, any sort of blacklisting, which is what a lot of people end up doing with, you know, if, if you have uh, poor reviews consistently, you might just stop sending someone code. Um, it, I don't know if it really makes sense, right? Because that person can go buy the game um, on their own and, and, you know, ultimately then potentially any sort of concept that, hey, we're, we're helping each other out in a, a professional capacity sort of goes out the window and then you're definitely going to get absolute opinion. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that may end up being harsher than if you had just given them code in, in the first place. You mentioned before you're at a point where you're not just picking any old game. You're not just, you know, randomly putting the evolve name on whatever you find. So at this yeah. point, what's your philosophy on finding games that you actually feel passionate enough to push? I mean, how much do you have to know and see from a team or a specific project before you feel like this is worth investing in? Yeah, it's really hard to, to kind of make that distinction, especially, I mean, we have a lot of clients or, I mean, most of our clients come to us through referrals at, you know, a certain stage of development. A lot of times, um, you know, as, as I think we, we talked about a little bit before, uh, before we came on, on the show, uh, they just don't necessarily think about the PR and marketing process. So there, it's very late in the game. Um, and, you know, it's sort of like, Hey, we have to launch in a month. We, we can do what we can to try and assess a game at that point. You know, it's like you can play it a little bit. Um, you can kind of get a sense from watching trailers or, or, you know, playing the game a little bit to see how it's going to turn out. Um, it's especially hard for, I mean, longer term projects. Um, you can't really guarantee that a game is going to be great a year from development. Um, so we, you know, we, a lot of it is sort of gut feel, I guess. You know, you kind of look at a game and say, do we think this will work? Um, do we think we can help here? Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're always kind of refining that. And that it's also always changing, I think, based on sort of what the flavor of the day is in, in the industry. I mean, you know, something like a, a good kind of top-down roguelite or something like that, two years ago, we would have said, yeah, yeah, probably take it on. That's how that looks good. But now it's like the market's so saturated that it becomes really hard to sort of break through. So unless a game can, you know, unless a developer can articulate a uh, very clear sort of difference in their game, it's really hard to, to try and say that we can help no matter how good that game is, because just from, from first, you know, first glance, people just won't see what's special about it, right? They're, they yeah. just sort of, you know, they'll, they'll play it, but, um, or, or maybe they won't, they'll just look at it and, and think, well, this looks like every other game I've played in the last year. 
Yeah, that that concept of like especially indie devs maybe not understanding the value of good PR it can be kind of crazy because even if you make this game that a lot of people will love if you don't have enough exposure, especially now you mentioned a lot of different genres are just saturated. Like if a good roguelike comes out, everyone's like, well, there's like 900 of those. How do I know this is better than the others? And if no one tells you, you just don't know. So, I mean, have you ever felt like you needed to convince a studio? I mean, not in a way where you're like, you need us, you know, you have to do this. But have you had to kind of go up and be like, look, like this works have you showed examples of other people how do you start those relationships with people who maybe from a distance don't really understand what you could do for their game yeah i mean i think you know we're we're in a fairly we're in a fairly good position in that um most of the the work that we get comes to us um, yeah. we, we you know haven't really had to do any sort of outward pushing um so most people kind of come to us whether at the right time or not and and sort of say Hey, we need the, you know, we, we understand the value of PR. We, we need to get our game in front of more people. Um, but I think in a lot of cases, that's sort of, um, expected to be a very quick process or, or an almost foolproof process where people come to us and say, we have this game. We need your help. Let's push it out. Um, and assume that by hiring us, it's going to be success. Um, which is another sort of big challenge on our side, um, trying to, to combat that because, all we can do is try our best to get the game in front of the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, if it doesn't click, it, it doesn't click. Um, so, so that's, that's definitely a challenge. And, um, I think that, you know, for developers, I think the, the main lesson is, is just learning that you have to do something to raise awareness about your game. Even if, you know, you might have the greatest game in the world, but something that we have to deal with quite a bit is that somebody will come to us at, in the last, month of development and say, Hey, we haven't really done any PR, but we're launching next month. Um, at which point it's, you know, you're really trying really hard to generate a lot of interest in a very short amount of time. And, and unless there's something unique or, you know, at this point it's like, unless there's a a major developer attached to it, or there's something really different about the project that becomes really hard to do. And I'm not asking you to brag here, but can you point to a smaller game that you feel like you got a little bit early enough in development that you can make a difference that by the time it actually released, you feel like, man, the PR of this really pushed it from maybe an unknown to something that was on people's radar? Um, I think it's tough because, I, you know, something else I'll, I'll kind of talk about a, probably a fair bit is that there is a certain element of luck and... Um, just sort of, uh, uh, there's that sort of intangible something about different games that, that make them successful. I mean, I could look at a game like this War of Mine from 11 Bit Studios. Um, you know, it, on its own, I think that any game that, that is different and tries something new always has an opportunity to get awareness, um, and, and to, to get people excited about it. Um, some games kind of go under the, you know, fly under the radar, some succeed. Um, and, and again, I think that that's where, as a PR team, we, we sort of rely on trying to generate awareness however we can. I mean, I think with this War of Mine, it was a game that did very well, um, and in, you know, another universe could have done not so well because it, you know, it was sort of a very serious simulation game and, and, you know, depending on, on various circumstances, that might have just been a game that people just didn't really pay attention to. So, I think that that's one of the other challenges on the PR side is that we we sort of work with what we get 
Um, and I, I guess actually going back to that one one game that that may have done uh, not as well was Polybridge was a game that we launched last year. Oh yeah, um, the sort of bridge simulator um, was another example of you know it's a really good game and clearly a very good game, but if you're not putting it in the right hands and, and not giving it enough time to, to get people's attention, it might just fall flat. But even so, you know, in some cases, we may have all of the, everything may be working in our favor. It might be a really good game. We'll have a, a decent timeline of, of being able to raise awareness for it. Um, and then things just still fall flat. So that's that sort of element of luck. And, and sometimes, you know, maybe the way the game looks or, or something just doesn't grab people at first glance. So it can be a little harder to, to generate that awareness, it's a lot more legwork and, and trying to hustle um, to, to get attention. Can it be difficult working with studios that are on the other side of the world or just maybe even have a lot of members of the team that don't speak the same language you do? I mean, you work with CD Projekt Red, which, correct me if I'm wrong, is in Poland, and then uh, the Divinity team is in Belgium, I think, at right now. So have you yeah. run into any sort of issues of just like communication mishaps or anything like that, or is it run pretty smoothly? Um- yeah, it's communication in general isn't too much of a problem. I mean, a lot of people on our team have sort of adapted and are up early and things like that to, yeah. to kind of accommodate, um, you know, international clients. I think that the bigger challenge ends up being in expectations, um, where, you know, you may have a, a developer in, let's say, Russia or somewhere like that, um, where the, the relationship and impact of press and, and certain you know, influencers is very different. I mean, and also a very different culture of how you can, how you can approach the subjects, how you can, you know, kind of be a little more flippant and just kind of casual in trying to, to talk about press stories or, or in talking about your game um, just in ways that may not fly over here or just, you know, different cultural differences. Um, you know, there, there are various things that, uh, come up as you're working with international clients that, you know, you just don't really think of, you know, it may be yeah. related to sexism and th- things like that. Um, where in, you know, certain parts of the world, uh, it, it's just not as big a deal. Um, and a developer may say something that in an interview or, or be talking about their game and you're just like, holy crap, I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> uh, and, you know, then we end up having to backpedal and, and be like, no, seriously, this is a huge problem for us here. Whereas they might just not understand it. Oh, I didn't even think about that part of it. How early were you on with the Witcher team, CD Projekt Red? Was that like during the first Witcher or did you guys come on later? Yeah, no. So CD Projekt is, uh, they were our very first client. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So I've actually, I've known those guys since I was working at BioWare because um, they licensed the uh, Neverwinter Nights engine for the Witcher 1. Oh, jeez. Um, and we had them behind a curtain in at E3, like behind, just little black crappy curtain um, at our, at the Bioware booth when we were showing off like Knights of the Old Republic or something like that, or, or Jade Empire or something like that. Um, so I've, I've known those guys forever and they actually, yeah, were, were sort of the first um, developer that uh, sort of helped me, um, I guess, sort of set off on my own and, and start the agency. Did you ever think that they could find the level of success they found with something like The Witcher 3? I mean, of course, like you said, you've known them for a long time. You must have believed in what they were doing, but could you ever imagine one day, like, The Witcher 3 would come out and it's, like, the hottest open-world RPG of, you know, the last long time? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, with The Witcher 1, I think we were all sort of 
I'd say at that point, probably not. Um, by the time Witcher 2 rolled around, I think it all started to become a little more uh, feasible. Um, mm -hmm. Because, I mean, with The Witcher 1, it was, you know, unknown developer. I mean, they'd never actually made a game before. They sort of did you know, game distribution and, and localization and stuff like that. Um, licensing, you know, a Bioware engine for a weird sort of off-the-wall RPG about a Polish novel that nobody had ever heard of. Um, so it, it, at the time, I was like, there, there's, you know, it could, it was a great game, obviously, but I, I don't think anybody sort of predicted it. But then by the time Witcher 2 rolled around and they started getting a lot more attention, a lot more, I mean, they, they obviously amped up budgets at that point, um, and started going a little more, I don't want to say mainstream, um, but the games were a little more broadly appealing. Um, I think at that point it, it started to be a, a real possibility. I mean, it, it was always, in the early days, it was always a hustle, but where where things were different for them was that the people that, I mean, even with The Witcher 1, the people that liked it, um, a lot of, you know, fairly large uh, media outlets, I mean, IGN was one of our first, like, kind of big supporters um, on The Witcher 1, um, you know, you don't necessarily get that sort of support um, for a debut title from a lot of developers, so it was nice that people were already starting to recognize it. And then, I mean, we, you know, we hustled that game hard for, I mean, you know, 10 years for the last, you know, yeah. the last decade has been, been a matter of kind of pushing that game constantly for that series in general. Um, so it wasn't easy, but you know, I'm, I'm very glad for them that, that they've reached uh, the levels they have. And you're a small team. Like you're not a massive company. And for, to work on a game the size of The Witcher 3 has to be crazy. Do you have a lot of freelancers? Do you have a lot of contractors? Or is it just a lot of full-time people working all kinds of different hours? No, I mean, you know what? It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a little strange. I mean, up until, what, maybe two years ago, um, Evolve was a two or three person team at any given time. I mean, it was basically just me for the first sort of seven years. Um, or six or seven years. Um, and then we hired a couple people and now we're, uh, in the past year and a half, we've expanded to 12. Um, so it's still, you know, fairly small, but, um, you know, we, we all work, you know, we work seven hour days. Um, it's, you know, I, I think that, that one of the things we've always wanted to do is just make sure that we're working smarter rather than, you know, longer. Hmm. Uh, so that's where you know, stuff like terminals comes in and, and just generally a philosophy has sort of been let's let's try and do the best we can with the resources that we have and, and really focus on, um, you know, the highest impact opportunities and things like that. But, you know, <coughs> with a, a game like The Witcher, really any game, again, this is kind of going back to what I said earlier, a lot of it is the game. I mean, if you have a, a fantastic game, things become a lot easier. Now, once you have awareness, I mean, working on a AAA game is infinitely easier than working on a small indie project. Really? Um, because you, you get, you know, there it's, it's really a matter of just sort of taking um, various, you know, different opportunities that, that arise and making sure that you're sort of maximizing exposure. Um, but at the, at the same time, I mean, media and, and influencers are coming to you constantly to to get more info they're eager to cover um whereas with indie stuff you have to convince people that, that they should be paying attention so it's it's a lot harder to do that um with the triple a stuff honestly i mean it you know it can be a lot of work for sure um especially to do it right and and you know you end up coordinating a lot more events and and a lot more different kind of preview opportunities and things like that um but 
you know, it's it's a lot easier. You don't have to spend as much time following up with people because people usually respond to the, to, to the first email rather than, you know, fourth. Whether it's indie or AAA, what's your current split between trying to get review builds, preview builds, and other sort of coverage uh, in the hands of YouTubers, streamers, and quote-unquote influencers versus traditional press? Because, I mean, you've been doing this for a bit, and... You, it's the landscape has changed. I mean, before it was, you know, the, the major, there was the major sites and then there was kind of everyone else. But now if you get a massive YouTuber to play your game, it could be 10 times bigger than if a massive site covers it. I mean, what's, what's the current strategy for stuff like that? Yeah, it's, and it's really hard. And I think that, you know, a lot of developers and a lot of our clients and, and us as well are, are very much kind of struggling with where best to use those resources. And that's part of why we ended up kind of creating a research team is trying to figure out, I mean, what what should we be focusing on, right? I mean, there's a lot of, you know, rhetoric about, it, it's all about Twitch streaming now. You know, YouTube almost seems like old hat people see really? it. Really? Well, it's, I mean, it, it feels that way because it's, you know, every time you talk, get, you know, every time you hear something about PR marketing in the industry, it's like, you know, traditional media might as well be dead. Um, but... <laughs> That's that's not quite the case, but you know, YouTube hype was quite a bit bigger, let's say, two years ago, um, and now everybody's on the Twitch bandwagon, and and there's always something new coming, and there's always some you know some new platform around the corner. Um, but at the end of the day, from us, for from our standpoint, we we're still very much spread across the board. Um, I think that we were pretty quick to jump on YouTube when when that started blowing up a little bit. Um, but at this point, I, I think that. One of the challenges is that um, in, I'd say, every form of media, uh, things have become very selective. And, and particularly, I think, in, in traditional press, um, it's become, because they're so beholden to, to advertising and page views, um, they do, you know, traditional press really have to focus on AAA titles or, or stuff that's already very well known. Um, and for us, that just means that a lot of our titles are, are, you know, tough to convince people to cover. Or if they do, they just, you know, they're like, well, we didn't get as many page views on that story as we did on this other, you know, top 10 list of, of AAA holiday releases. Yeah. So we'll just spend our time doing that instead. Um, and YouTube and Twitch has, has to some extent, become uh, quite similar. I mean, a lot of times, you know, you see every kind of major AAA release, a lot of those big publishers are, are doing everything they can to sort of, you know, cater to influencers, um, which means that those people can't be covering the other stuff that, that you know, is coming out. Um, and I think that with the, the kind of um, the, the expansion of sort of the Steam ecosystem and, and indie development in general, that's made it a lot harder for a lot of developers to kind of make noise and, and get attention. You get a few that kind of rise to the top. Um, but for us, it's 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 always been a matter of trying to spread our efforts pretty broadly. I mean, if you look at let's say the the terminals registrations, like I said, we have about eleven thousand people registered there. I'd say it's probably you know thirty percent press, and and the rest is is sort of content creators, um, YouTubers, and streamers. So. Uh, and you mentioned before about a research team. Have you noticed, like, if you're looking, of course, you have to look at the future a bit. You you got to kind of anticipate what's coming. Have you seen? Any shift in maybe where the trend will go? Do you think it'll continue to go in the direction of Twitch and YouTube will kind of get a little bit smaller and then traditional press will continue to get smaller and smaller? Do you see any sort of 
maybe turn around where traditional press starts coming back, where it all balances out? Like, where's kind of your head out and where this is going to go? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're just about to dig into sort of a bigger research project to kind of figure out, um, you know, how buzz these days is sort of created. Um, you see a lot of games that pop up out of nowhere and suddenly they're, they're super popular. So we kind of want to try and figure out how that's, how that's all working out. Um, I think that, that one of the, the issues overall is that, um, I think traditional press have to some extent been been less likely to sort of grab their their position as potential tastemakers and yeah. and you know with indie development in, in particular I think there are a million games out there not just stuff that we're working on that that really does deserve more attention than it's getting um, and you know maybe Twitch streamers and YouTubers are a little more likely to take on that stuff but at the same time a lot of them YouTubers and Twitch streamers are so uh, tied to different series so they you know they they create 150 videos on one game also makes it you know somewhat limiting in terms of trying to get exposure for other titles there um so so i don't you know i don't really know where the trend's going to go i think that it's it's getting harder and harder for for indie devs to break through but it doesn't seem like indie development is slowing down at all um so maybe you know i don't know maybe it's it's just a shift in in um you know, certain audiences uh, uh, for different channels changing. I mean, I think that, you know, PewDiePie was one good example. I know he's, he spoke out about how he's sort of changed as a person, but his yeah. audience hasn't. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a lot of Twitch streamers um, and they're, you know, they're broadcasting 12, 16 hours a day um, just to make ends meet. And I mean, a lot of them are sort of in their early 20s or mid-20s or, or, you know, whatever. Um, and it just, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about even my own career. Ten years down the road, I don't know if that's sustainable, right? Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I reckon there there will be a shift in the next couple of years. But maybe that's just going to be, you know, certain um, certain broadcasters kind of falling out of favor or just not, you know, continuing to do, do it because they realize it's not a, a schedule they can keep up and then other people coming in and filling those those gaps um, or maybe some new uh, new models will, will, will show up. But I'm, you know, really not too sure. I think it'll be interesting to see how uh, how things change in the next year. I mean, with, with Twitch broadcasters, they talk a lot about, you know, if they're not broadcasting for a week, their subscriber and, and view counts go way down. Um, so it's sort of an industry where they have to keep producing content daily um, yeah. and, and for most of the day. And, you know, I don't know. It's, it's not healthy. Um, no, at the same not. time, I just don't know from, a, a, you know, creating a career out of this sort of thing, whether, you know, whether a lot of them are thinking of it. And uh, I am from like a traditional press background, and this is not to go, you know, be poo-pooing video people at all. But have you ever, um, have you ever felt like, the YouTube and Twitch audience is just consistently more positive about games than the actual traditional press. Have you ever felt the desire to maybe you mentioned you're very balanced with who you're giving codes to and who you're like reaching for coverage from, but have you ever felt maybe like if I focus more on YouTube and Twitch, we might have an overall more positive sense of this game than if we just went to the major press outlets or am I completely off base there? No, no, absolutely. And I mean, I, you know, I think that for us, it, it really is a matter of trying to understand for each individual game what the best approach is. Um, because a game like The Witcher, it's really easy to look at it and go, all right, we're going to hit press because they're going to like it and everything will be positive for, you know, for the most part. 
Um, whereas we have, a, you know, we'll occasionally have games that we'll pick up that we'll pick up understanding that they're not going to be, from a critical standpoint, the best games. I mean, they may not be the most polished. Um, there, you know, may be various issues. It just might not be a, a perfect experience where if you're looking at it critically, it might not be a, a very wise idea to try and approach press with it. So we'll almost entirely focus on YouTube and, and streamers. But still, again, you don't want to sort of block out press. So if they end up coming and getting interested, fine. Um, but but you're right. It generally is. You know, we see that, I mean, press look at things with a much more critical eye. They won't overlook little bugs. Whereas on YouTube and Twitch, that might be kind of fun to have bugs that recur and, and you yeah. keep running into all these issues. Um, makes for good watching. Um, doesn't necessarily make for a, a good game, so to speak. Yeah, no, I agree there. Uh so what interesting projects are you working on right now that you can talk about? Like what is coming out maybe end of this year, early next year that you guys are really working on? Um, let me look. I'm going to open up terminals and see what we actually have. <laughs> like we have, I mean, you know, there's you know, obviously on the CD project front, Gwent is coming up. Um, that's, that's sort of always lingering in the background. Um, we just announced uh, Arctica One with 4A Games, which is uh, their that's the the guys who did Metro. Oh yeah, um, they, they announced a, a VR shooter. Uh, it's sort of like um, I'd say, sort of inspired by House of the Dead and and Time Crisis and games like that. I mean, you're sort of a stationary shooter and and um, you know pretty action packed. It's all uh, Oculus focused, um, so that that one's good. We announced Nidhogg Two. Um, oh, so that looks great. Yeah, so that'll be a good one. That's obviously, I mean, another scenario where you know the art style sort of caused a lot of discussion, but <laughs> take it. Um, what else? We're working with uh, United Front. Um, those guys did Sleeping Dogs, um, working on Smash and Grab mm-hmm. with them. Um, they launched it in early access, but also a very good game. Um, you know, Divinity Original Sin 2. Um, what else do we have coming up? Uh, Avon Colony, which is a, a game that's sort of, uh, we call it like City Skylines in Space. Um, uh, pretty great. Uh, Church in the Darkness, um, is a, a sort of, it's from Paranoid Productions. Um, and it's like a, a cult 70s, uh, jungle. Um, sort of, you're, you're, uh, infiltrating this, this cult in the 70s. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Honestly, like it seems like every week or two we have have some really great games pop up. I mean, we have a bunch that are coming. Sort of Q1, working on uh, Sniper Ghost Warrior Three uh, with City Interactive, uh, so that'll be a big one. Eleven uh, Bit Studios is working on Beat Cop, um, and uh, a few other games. They just announced Frostpunk. Um, so there, you know, there's a lot of really good stuff coming up, and and you know, I think one of the benefits of of being an agency like ours, where we're willing to sort of take on all sorts of different projects is that yeah. we really do get a lot of really interesting games, you know, on a, on a you know, pretty much monthly basis and it, it keeps things fresh, but um, it also means we, you know, we're constantly having to take on new projects and especially with indie devs, they don't necessarily have the budgets to sustain sort of ongoing efforts. So we, you know, we get a lot of project turnover, which is, is fun, but a little stressful at the same time. Yeah. That sounds just a little bit stressful. We have a lot going on. Uh, so last question, I have you, Ever so, you I mean you've been doing this for a while? Again, how long did it take for you to get a thick skin with response to something that you really believed in? How long did it take before, let's say, you see a review that is factual but you feel like misses the point? 
of a game. Did did are you still is there still like a part a part of you that reads a review like that and just gets like ah oh, and like want to respond to that person or talk to that person or at this point are you just like look if they didn't like it move on you're totally fine. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't think that feeling ever goes away, especially, I mean, the more attached you are to something, obviously, the harder it is to see somebody criticize it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think one of the one of the best lessons I learned very early um, when I was working at Bioware was, you know, in the face of trolls and whatnot, just keep your mouth shut. Um, generally, I mean, engaging in arguments is, is never really going to be a great idea. Um, and, and I think that with that, and, and once you realize, I think, especially that, you know, of the, you know, all the negativity that we see online, it, it's so much easier to be negative about something. I think this, this applies to, to life in general, um, but, but maybe amplified online. Um, it's so much easier to be negative about something, or, or you're so much more likely to complain when you don't like something than you are to offer praise when you like something. Um, yeah. So, you know, you may, it, it may feel like for a developer that, that everything you're seeing is negative, but really the, the vast majority of people are probably quiet and happy and, and enjoying the game. Um, whereas the people that you see online are, are sort of, um, the, the minority and, and sort of the vocal minority, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I don't know if it ever goes away, that feeling that, uh, somebody owes more time to something. And we see it, uh, you know, a fair bit on our side is that, We'll have a developer or we'll have a game that we really believe in that people just aren't responding to it or, or, you know, they're just not getting back to us about coverage or something like that. And we're like, no, but we really think you should play it. Um, and there's no, uh, it's really tough to be on, on working with a developer who has so much invested in the game and just feel sort of helpless and, and yeah. unable to sort of make a difference. Um, and, you know, it, in an ideal world, everybody would just, listen to us, <laughs> um, you know, play the games that we tell them to play because we really are trying to, you know, really trying to show the right people games that we really do think they should be interested in. Yeah. Um, but that's life, you know, it, it is what it is. We kind of, you know, we, we deal with it the best way we can and, and hopefully always try and, and sort of maintain a positive attitude about it. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, I've, been writing on sites that get a lot of comments for a long time so i've seen the worst of the worst of that stuff but there's definitely a difference now uh when it's your own personal writing you can kind of just brush it off your shoulder and be like okay look i i'm happy with how that product turned out like i'm good with it but when you're working for like you said a team that you might be invested in um where you know they poured a lot into it and then you see a response that's maybe you don't agree with for various reasons. That's way harder for me. Like I found that to be way more difficult when you're attached to a team instead of just yourself. And this is not some sort of referendum on the response to here they lie. It's been very good, but like it's it's a very yeah. different experience that like you don't expect because a lot of people say like I have a thick skin, but sometimes moving on to a different form of the industry can show that you know it's different. It's totally different, and it's been for super sure. Bizarre. And even like I mean, yeah, and even with something like The Witcher, you know, I mean, Witcher three. We, you know, we were obviously elated. Everything was great. Um, and I've had this at various times in my life in, or in my career where 99% of the coverage is great. And then you get a review that's like an eight or something, right? And you're yeah. like, what the, like, <laughs> seriously? You know, and it's, it just totally just changes the perspective on things. Whereas in, in other cases, we're thrilled to get any kind of coverage for a developer. 
um, or the developer is super happy with sort of one story. And then we're sort of disappointed that we didn't get 500. Right. Yep. Um, so, you know, it's life, but I, I, you know, I think that it, it's probably the same with sort of any sort of creative medium. I think that you, you always, especially the, the more invested you are in something, if, if somebody disagrees, it's always a, a natural reaction, I think, to sort of put up a, put up a fight. Um, even if it's just an internal one, but you know, it's life. I think that, that we all kind of have to, to take things a little bit easier and, and realize it's all not, not really all that important. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Uh, so, Tom, if people want to find you, whether it be uh, developers or anyone else, what is the best way to get in contact with you, whether it be social media or otherwise? Yeah, um, you can either get us uh, online, I mean, or search for Video Game PR on Google. Um, we're actually the first result. Cha-ching. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, there or, you know, you can find us online um, on, on Twitter at uh, evolve underscore PR uh, or go to terminals.io if you're, you know, especially if you're on the press or, or uh, influencer side, if you want to get some games to play, that's a, a good place to be. All right. Great. Well, thank you so much. This was super interesting to me. Again, I've been waiting to talk to a PR person to go more in depth about this stuff for a long time and I knew you'd be perfect for the job. So. Uh, thank you so much, and good luck with the 8,000 projects you're working on within the next year. <laughs> awesome, man. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. All right. Uh, again, thank you, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Hopefully, tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.